Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bible and Banter with Mike Alex and Eric Reynolds. What up, Mike? Hey, everybody. You look like, I tried saying this before it came on air, but I figured it would just be funny if I said it on air. You look like you, um, with your new headset, like you work at uh, Ground Control for NASA. Well, actually close. I'm actually going to be starting a new job next week, uh, calling people and trying to sell them car warranties. <laughs> that reminds me of <laughs> one of my favorite episodes of, um, uh, of, of The Office. Uh, no, I forget. <laughs> you like the office, yes. right? Yeah, oh, he's yeah. working in a call center, and like, yeah, he, and the, uh, he has a stuff. he has a second job, and he gets yelled at by Ryan because he didn't do the PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a yeah. I love. Uh, I love. I haven't watched the office in a while. I got to get back into that. We yeah. uh, we just finished like a few weeks ago. We finished watching because um, Robert and I like to watch TV together. So mm -hmm. uh, we finished The Big Bang Theory. Have you, okay. have you seen that? Have you seen I've the Big seen, Bang I've seen it not a ton, but I have seen some episodes. Dude, it's so good. It's so hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um, and then and then we got into the crown because Robin watched mm -hmm. the yes. that interview with Oprah with um, okay. I, I always confuse the two princes. Uh so it's whatever his name is, and then Meghan Markle. Prince um, Harry. Okay. Yeah. Um You're welcome. So, yeah, thank you. I appreciate. It. <laughs> I was that was was that appointment viewing for you? No, I have not really kept abreast of that too much. I mean, since we beat them in the war, I don't care too much what happens uh, to <laughs> to the crown. But my wife and I actually enjoyed watching all the seasons of the crown together. We actually yeah. in the evenings enjoy watching some shows together as well yeah so we're watching we're finishing the crown now we're in the fourth season so okay. i think we just watched the episode where princess diana is starting to like the she's starting to binge and purge and you know her eating disorder and all that so yeah uh, we just, it's, it's, the, the actress they found for her spot on so good spot. the best they, she's the best character like um individual they found to play mm -hmm. uh, a character it was really cool yeah. but it is interesting man and i wonder like how much of it is based on conjecture how much of it is based on actual like actual information so it's it's hard to know so oh absolutely yeah absolutely. yeah so yeah. maybe once we finish we'll go back through and watch some some more of the office <laughs> got a got a detox from drama with some good comedy the old standby or maybe we'll go back and watch tiger king uh a year later <laughs> uh. <laughs> um for those for those viewers of all the shows we just mentioned that's the one i would say eh, you might want to stay clear of especially if you are sensitive to language or just about anything. <laughs> hey, there's no nudity in it. There isn't any nudity. I like shows like that, even if it's even if they have like cursing doesn't bother me. You know, based on all my time in the army, um, homosexuality and like that doesn't bother me seeing it on TV. If it portrays a perspective or a group that I'm unfamiliar with, so that I can learn more about who they are. You yes, know, yeah. um, I, I like hearing different perspectives. So, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, what's up with you, Mike? Anything else? No, that, I mean that's. I mean, the weather's getting nicer up here, so in general, people are nicer. So, what's it? A warm um, eighteen degrees? <laughs> it's a warm low sixties. 
<laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. So no, you can generally sense people are a little bit less grumpy um, when the weather gets nicer. Mm-hmm. And so we seem to have a, a decent start to spring. That's good. Yep. That's good. How about you? What's up with you? My bearded wonder. Uh, man, what is new with me? Uh, I've been, uh, so last night I started listening to a new audiobook, uh, Reading While Black by Esau Macaulay. Uh, why is that funny? I just, I think I, I I'm proud of like I'm uh, good job at picking something like that out, but just hearing a white guy <laughs> say the title <laughs> of that book, just I'm just uh, like. <laughs> so you saw McCall. It's actually won. Um, I think book of the year something so for some category. It, it won a significant award. Um, this past year, uh, written by Esau McCauley, who's a who's an Anglican guy. He actually studied under N.T. Wright. Um, good dude, man. I listened to him on a couple of podcasts and it really, uh, sparked my interest in reading the book and talks about kind of the black perspective on, on exegesis and hermeneutics and, and mm. some really good illustrations so far. I might actually pick up the hard copy because he does some exegesis in the book that's just hard to listen mm. to. Like I want to see the text and be able to interact with it, but the stories and illustrations, like it's really eye opening because I don't know if you realize this or not, but I've never been a black man. So, so it's a new perspective for me. And I've had, you know, black friends throughout the years, especially when I was in the army, but still hearing it from a brother in the Lord and, and he, like on specific things, it's, it's very eye opening. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Cool. 10 out of 10 awesome. so far. Would awesome. recommend. How, you, you just read through the forward. No. Um, so I, I had a, I had a meeting down at Camp Dixie last night. So it was about an hour drive both ways. So I listened to about the first four and a half chapters, I think. Oh, nice. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I redeem my time. <laughs> listening <laughs> to audiobooks and podcasts and all that stuff. Isn't is you know, I've, I know some people from Camp Dixie and everything, but have they thought about changing their name? Cause isn't Dixie have some questionable history to it? Um, as a board member of Camp Dixie, I, I can't, I don't think I can answer that question of whether or not we've had conversations along those lines, but, um, yep. Nah, can't, can't confirm or deny. <laughs> um, I can tell you this, it was actually, it was funny. Um, <clears throat> another board member had mentioned something about, they were on a camp board down in Georgia a number of years ago, back in the nineties. And they'd said that it was very controversial for them to change their camp name, but um, it was a little bit easier because at that time it was in the early nineties, the camp name was camp come be gay. <laughs> Why change it? I can't understand. <laughs> but it was named in the thirties when gay was used as a term for happy. So it was come be happy. So, um, but it was literally come be gay, come be happy. But they would say it really quickly so that it sounded like Native American. <laughs> like this is what he was saying. But you know, with a name like Dixie, for for uh, for many, like you and I might have a perspective because we haven't been raised in the South. But being but folks in the South, I think if you've been raised here your whole life, and and specifically even if you're if you're white, your the term Dixie doesn't sound um, necessarily racist. Right. But, um, I, at least other people I've talked to, it certainly they're like, 
excuse me, come again, you know? Um, so um, it's different. And that's not to say that that's not to say that people are racist about it. They just don't see it. Right. Like they, they have a different experience and, and it harkens back to some um, like when I talk to people about the Confederate flag, they have a different, very different perspective than I have um, being raised in, in Massachusetts. So for them, they're like, man, my, you know, great grandfather fought in, in the war of Northern aggression. And um, they were brave. They were incredibly brave for what they did. And I go, Oh yeah. Like, I, Oh, I get that. Like, I understand. Um, although there's a whole lot of other people that feel ostracized by it. So maybe like, what can we do here? I don't know. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even I being uh, born and bred exceptionally white Northerner, Northeasterner, especially when I hear you. Do you say like, exceptionally you s- white? Yes. Um, <laughs> the sun has a bleaching effect on me. Um, but, uh, just even hearing you refer to it as the, the war of Northern aggression. Makes I'm joking. Trouble. I'm saying, I'm saying that I'm saying, that oh, okay. So people yeah. haven't referred to it as that. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, cause <laughs> no, but we is, I mean, being yeah. raised in the North, I think we have some sort of, um, at least the way I grew up, I was, I was taught like people in the South weren't all, weren't as intelligent as people in the North that they still thought the civil war was going on, you know? So like all of these, what I, and I grew up spent like six years in Georgia when I was in the army and I've been here for the last couple of years in North Carolina. And I go, I have not Hmm. got that read at all. Like I do, I have not been like, Oh, wow. People in the South are dumb. Like not at all. Like I have not seen that at all, nor have I seen people like think that the civil war is still going on or, refer to the civil wars the war of northern aggression could there be those people uh yeah maybe but not not like what i was raised to believe right well the reality is don't we often become known for the worst sides of ourselves oh for sure i mean so that's the reality yeah um so you know northerners are you know pretentious you know unkind unloving which is actually fairly accurate. That, that's a really <laughs> that's accurate. Rel- relatively <laughs> accurate, especially the time of year. Um, but it's not a universal truth, and you know, and yeah, hmm. yeah. That's not so, the topic for today's I've, conversation, though. But we got there by you asking questions that you know I don't necessarily feel comfortable answering in public about you know uh, <laughs> private board meetings. Correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And and FYI, I do not ask that because I know any. You're the only person that I that I I know of that sits on that board. Except, does Lana still sit on the board? She's uh, she works for the camp. She doesn't. Okay, sit on she doesn't sit on the board. Okay, so mm-hmm. that that question did not come because I have an in or anything. I you're the only one now officially that I know that's on that board. I think. Um. So, so don't worry, like, there's not like a mole in the board, like having conversations, if this is even a conversation you're having. <laughs> oh, I just saw the comments. I just opened up the comments. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> I appreciate you saying those things. Um, that they just needed me on the board and just say yes. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> did you see Nathaniel's comment? I have a relative emotion. <laughs> Well, hey, that's one way to <laughs> – that's one thought. Um, I'm not in Mississippi. It's not the, the 90s. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's not the topic of conversation today. Mike, Correct. you texted me 
literally Sunday morning as I'm preparing to deliver God's word. And I'm assuming you are as well, but apparently you're, you're using your time to look up different articles about uh, sex. And, uh, and I'm trying to spend time in prayer, seeking the Lord's face and guidance direction, um, asking him to prayerfully give me the words that he would uh, have me impart to, to his people. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Hey, can we talk about this on Tuesday? I'm like, yeah, sure, man, I guess. And I said, I know you're probably getting ready, so feel free to ignore this until after you're done. <laughs> but you chose to respond. <laughs> and and I was getting ready for the morning, but I had I had I always check my email when I first get in, and that article was in my email because I'm part of a, the the mailing list. But okay, okay, cool. Well, um, so this this is kind of sparked, and we're and I'm kidding, of course, that um. <laughs> Although there is some truth to what we just said. So we're going to talk about purity culture, um, which your experience is probably going to be very different than mine because I didn't Mm -hmm. grow up in the church. So purity culture is kind of a new concept. Although the more I learn about it, the more I realize that even I was affected by some of it, even being outside the church. So um, you asked me to, and I read an article by David French, who's one of the best political commentators um, out there, very even handed, critical of both sides. I think Winsome. He's got some cred, man. He's a he's a lawyer or a former lawyer, served in the army. I think he deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, he's a PCA guy, so he's he's a conservative Presbyterian, um, and he wrote a tremendous article, which we'll drop the link to, um, mm. about purity culture and its effect on us. So, Mike, can you define what purity culture is? Uh, basically, purity. <laughs> that's a. I, how do I say it succinctly? Because um, as I started talking, I'm realizing I don't know how to say it succinctly. But basically, purity culture really developed in the, to a degree, in the 80s, but definitely the mid to late 90s, in the church. It was basically Christian sex ed. Okay, <laughs> is how I like to describe it. Of how do you handle intimate pre-marriage relationships uh, between the sexes. Okay. And so a lot of it res- revolved around how do you stay pure for your future spouse, and what are some rules to follow that may or m- that are potentially informed by scripture, but not necessarily commanded mm-hmm. in scripture. Um, and so I grew up with it a little bit in the '90s. I didn't. Re- it didn't really hit me too too much until later high school and then my first year of college at Bix when they forced us to read the Joshua Harris book I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Oh really? Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so um suffice to say, I think it gets a worse rap than it should in some ways, but the critiques of it are well warranted and um and uh have done some damage, although uh, for kind of some background, Joshua Harris now has recanted his faith and that book. Um, and I think a lot of it came because he felt bad for the damage that he did not intend to cause in people's lives because of the strict um, no dating, yada, yada, yada. So I don't know anything about the book. Yeah. Well, ba- yeah. basically he, he sets forth, and this is from... I mean, this has been, we're going on 20 years since I've read it. 
Okay. Dude, you're old, man. How old are you? 37. You're ancient. Yeah, I know. But uh, basically, it's all about, you know, he um, he did not he did not kiss a girl until he kissed his wife on their wedding day. And they did not date. They courted, which is basically um, chaperoned dating with specifically with family. You invite into the family rather than just date around and you date with the purpose of getting married. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you save any and all, it, it felt like it was saying save any and all into physical intimacy for um, your, your wedding uh, partner, mm-hmm. opposite yeah. gender wedding partner. Well, I could see how 14 year old Eric not being in the church or someone would be like, Hey, come to youth group. And if that would have been taught, I'm like, Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that I can't kiss my girlfriend until we're married? I'm out. <laughs> like, that would have been me at 14, 15 years old, man. Um, well, that's it, interesting. It really gets around, and we still do this today as a church, is we set up, like the Pharisees did, kind of fences around the actual law to protect us, add another layer of protection of, you know, disobeying the, the root law so mm-hmm. to speak. So mm-hmm. no, no sex before marriage. Well, let's just prevent that by no kissing and hand holding and hugging mm-hmm. and not being alone together ever. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, so at, at root in, in some ways there is some God honoring thought behind it, but at the same time it sets up unrealistic pharisaical burdens in some ways. Yeah. So from what, what I've read about, about purity culture is that um, it completely it completely like sets aside the gospel like the Mm -hmm. gospel is secondary Jesus is secondary in fact Jesus and the gospel serve the primary purpose and the primary purpose is don't have sex before you're married right And, and I can see how that's appealing to like parents who like don't want their kids to have sex before they're married. And, and I think we agree that, that sex is something that should be done in the confines of heterosexual marriage. Mm -hmm. But, um, that is, that is secondary to Christ, right? So it's a command of Christ, but you can't follow a command of Christ without knowing Christ because just following a command of Christ without knowing Christ, it is, um, it's, what's the term you're trying to earn your salvation. It's works righteousness. Mm-hmm. And in your, your purity isn't what makes you righteous. It's Christ who imputes righteousness to you. That makes you righteous. And now you live in light of that righteousness. You're growing in that righteousness. And from what I read, man, cause like, again, I'm, I'm a novice when it comes to this stuff, but mm-hmm. you know what, what David French was talking about was like, it, it totally sets aside the gospel in a way that makes an idol out of sex mm-hmm. and, 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 and does so in such a way that it even like scares people like with sex, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There, yeah. There's a couple things with that. And in terms of my own experience with it, if I'm totally honest, my, I was, in purity culture by default, not by choice, because mm-hmm. I, and I hesitate to talk about this in past 
intense just because I still am super awkward. And I think it was just a low point in my wife's life that she said yes to me. Um, and when she said, I mean, that's yes, what she tells know. everybody else. It's really a yeah. big joke. Like everybody knows that. Right. Um, but the, the reality is God was gracious. God was gracious to me to not, you know, put me as uh, charming as I am now uh, back in my younger days. So legitimately my wife, granted, we didn't save our first kiss for our wedding day, but she was the first girl I held a hand of. She was the first girl I ever dated and she was my first kiss. Mm -hmm. um, so, but that wasn't necessarily by choice because I'm such an awesome <laughs> godly human being. Okay. Um, you know, but because it's, it's just by nature of you being an ugly dude, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> ugly and awkward and fat. Yes. <laughs> so I, I can't sit here and say like, I followed it to the T and look how great I turned out. <laughs> I can't say that I've turned out great at all by any stretch, but by the, the mere grace of God. But, um, as you were as you were talking about, you know, it makes sex, you know, f sex is fearful. I um, mean, I don't know if you ever remember seeing one of Matt Chandler's early sermon clips. That oh, I know like, what you're talking about the rose with the rose, right? Yeah, but but you know, David French used a similar example. Yeah, of he showed you know he was at a sermon where a guy, a pastor or speaker, showed a a brand shiny new nickel. And then a tarnished, dirty one, and basically says, "Which one do you want your future spouse to have?" or, or something like that, as if God can't make you untarnished again. Right. Like there's that's no the like insane, that's the insane stuff that like I'm reading this and going like you, like people tr have treated or continue to treat um, like uh, sex as as some kind of sin that you can never recover from. So like that, that you're that you're essentially up a creek without a paddle, and and to me, I go, this is so anathema. This is so heretical. This is so outside the bounds of orthodoxy that it's troubling for me to understand that it came from people who have been orthodox in their theology, right? And and it's just because it, it's sprung up from the evangelical subculture, and uh, you know, he mentions a tweet that. Um, uh, of Karen Swallow Pryor, who's a great follow on Twitter. She's a professor of literature over at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And she said, culture cultivates. Mm -hmm. Culture cultivates. And it, I, I, wonder, I wonder how many people have really had this messed up sense of their salvation um, based on what they learned about. Now, again, we want to emphasize Holiness is incredibly important. Right. Um, striving for holiness is incredibly important, but you only do so because you follow Christ. Your following and putting on of Christ is first and foremost. Everything else comes afterwards. But right. from this sense I'm getting, it's like, hey, if you screw this up, then you're going to hell for eternity. Mm -hmm. And 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 you you're just you're in trouble, man. You're in big yeah. trouble. And then you and then you go like, well. Why don't we say that about people who are obese? Mm. You know, why? Like, where? <laughs> don't look at me like that. Listen, I'm I am classified as obese. Okay, so me I feel too, like too. I feel like, hey, if my doctor can call me fat, then I can talk about being fat. All right, That's true. but That's true. um, we talk about we so we talk about sex in one category as mm -hmm. though it's a 
a sin that no one could ever recover from that you're tarnished forever. But then um, gluttony, we don't ever talk about that. How many fat pastors do we have? Mm-hmm. How many how many people do we know that, that have um, maybe fibbed on their taxes? Mm-hmm. Or maybe drive above the speed limit? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, seat don't wear their seatbelts. Uh, all these kinds of things, and you go, I mean, we're, we're called to obey the laws of the land, and if we don't, that's a sin, isn't it? We're, we're called to, to be generous and gracious with our food. Um, that might mean we don't eat an entire pizza. I'm speaking to myself because I can literally eat an entire pizza. Um, <laughs> so, uh, like, there are sins in our lives that we're just more comfortable with than other ones. And and I don't understand why we treat sex differently than we do some of these other things. Um, Honestly, yeah. I, th- I think some of it is fear. Okay. I think actually a lot of it is driven by fear because we all can feel the, um, the draw of sexual physical temptation mm-hmm. and the repercussions of that technically are much more severe than overeating. I mean, you get heart disease, you know, that could be hereditary or it could be your diet. But when you think about sexual impurity, you get, you know, you know, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, all other sins are outside the body, but this is inside the body. And so it seems like Paul talks about this at some sort of level, but at the same time, you got unplanned pregnancy, you've got STDs, all of these things that can affect the long-term outward realities. And so uh, I find, I think Bixford's absolutely right. The sexual revolution, it was the Christians like over response because if we give any leeway here, then we're going to lose that battle and mm-hmm. our children are just going to worship at the altar of sex and leave the, leave the faith. And we have, I mean, I, would you agree, Mike, we have such a wrong view of sex as a society, like even outside mm-hmm the Christian subculture, like, like those certainly things. I mean, we're, we're reaping the, um, I I don't want to say rewards, but the, the, uh, we're reaping what was sown back in the sixties and seventies regarding the the sexual revolution. The ease of birth control, um, Mm -hmm. has made sex essentially meaningless and Mm -hmm. just, just an activity. Um, it's a transaction you know, for a lot. I actually had, I had, yeah. um, I'm doing some, some, um, premarital counseling and, and we talked a little bit about, um, cause I, I, I like to read up on, on counseling because I don't, I, I've taken a few call, co- few college classes in my undergrad, but I haven't done anything past that. So I'm, I'm a real novice when it comes to counseling. So I like to read as much as I can. And I've listened to like, um, marriage, marriage bloggers, even Christian marriage bloggers and, and Christian, um, once you get into that realm, you're going to talk about like Christian sex bloggers and things like, like how to have a, you know, a healthy sex life and all that stuff. And dude, the stuff I've read is so incredibly disheartening that we are putting this garbage into our churches because like one of the, one of the biggest keys of advice was um, husbands, if you want more sex with your wife, do the dishes as though, <laughs> and, and that's a direct quote. I forget what, from what article, but that was literally like the headline. And dude, we're treating sex like a, like it's a commodity. Like, oh man, if I, if I want to get lucky tonight, I just have to do the dishes or do the laundry or something like that. And then my wife will reward me. That doesn't, 
that's that we are viewing people as property mm-hmm. rather than seeing them as being in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I want to get into how this has affected women within um, Christian circles, because that has certainly, um, that that's certainly uh, appropriate when talking about the, the, the purity culture. And, and what I've learned is that we often treat women as though they're objects to be desired. Um, and, and it's almost like, I think you mentioned, did you mention this live or did you mention it um, maybe before we got, got on, but well, if, if your husband is addicted to pornography or, or, you know, watching pornography on a regular basis, I mean, it's, it's the wife's problem. Like she, she's not having enough sex with her husband or, or not pleasing him enough or something like that. And it creates this tension within the marriage and you're, and you're, you're the sin of the man you're putting on the wife, you know, like this is insane. I the, the de- either the devil or my wife made me do it, right? It's this, this, is, this is darn woman you put in the garden here with me, right? Right, Adam. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the reality is, you know, the pendulum can swing into the extreme um, purity culture. You know, being too concerned about how I am making other people feel, think, or whatever. And then on the other side is not caring about our purity, holiness at all. And that's kind of what you mm-hmm. kind of qualified a little bit earlier is holiness is super important uh, mm-hmm. for the, for the believer, um, you know, for everybody, but certainly for the yeah. believer, because we want to live honoring God, godly lives. Um, right. But I think Nathaniel brings up a, a decent point um, who had the greatest influence, the church of the world. And I would actually say, I would maybe reference that and say the, pr- one of the problems was we parenting, put the onus on the church to teach, you know, the parents either leave it to the, like their school or the church to have these conversations with their children because it's too awkward or it's too uncomfortable to have this conversation. When in reality, parents, especially Christian parents in the home need to, um, regardless of what the church is doing, regardless of what school choice you have is doing, it, it, first front of, first line of defense for living godly is that parents do so and talk about it. Do yeah. your do your kids see you healthily hugging and and kissing and treating one another with love and respect and encouragement? Do they see you know how to properly behave towards one another? And when you don't, do they see you asking for forgiveness and mm-hmm. repenting and working through those issues? Um, so I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even, you know, the, the church for far too long and the government or whatever has bought into this. We need to set up this type of thing to, you know, so the parents don't have to worry about it. Well, no, th- you can do that. You can provide that, but that's in addition to what should be happening at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, and I kind of resist the the whole who's had the greater influence as if, you know, ta- you know they spend so much time in the hands of the, the government or this entity or that entity. The reality is um, sin's going to get you no matter what. But the reality is God has called us as Christians to, you know, live out our faith when at all times, uh, not just on Sunday morning when we shove our kids into a youth group or Sunday school class. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. So how, um, how has this impacted based on the reading that you've been doing and I've been doing, how has this impacted women? I mean, I think, I think they're, you know, um, French brings up some really good points, right. And even like in stuff that I've read 
through other people's experiences on on social media, particularly mm-hmm. Twitter, it, it's very eye opening. Um, thinking yeah. about things I had not considered previously. Right. Well, seeing how I'm a I'm not a woman, so that very much makes me an expert on how this has impacted women. Um, <laughs> like I just feel awkward answering that question, so I can only yeah. answer this as an observer. Or well, what? how about expectations? Expectations, right. I think. Yeah. Well, I read it. Uh, Rachel Den Hollander, um, and I mentioned this on our off-air time, wrote an opinion piece for the for the Washington Post. Um, now tell entitled, people who Rachel Den Hollander is. Rachel Den Hollander is a pain in some so, some people's behinds because she was the gymnast that uh, exposed Larry Nasser, the mm-hmm. pedophile that worked for USA Gymnastics, mm-hmm. and uh, has a long list of young girls that he, um, uh, you know, abused in his. Yeah, practice. Rachel Den Hollander is a national hero. She's a national hero. She's a lawyer. She's Southern Baptist, but depending on how much longer they kind of, you know, just treat her as a, as a barb rather than a gift, um, she may, may end up leaving along with uh, others. I don't know. And her husband, her husband's a PhD candidate. He's he's also Canadian. He's also Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, but she wrote an opinion piece, which I thought was good, but again, ultra conservative, will say, oh, she's just not, you know, whatever. But she says, how churches talk about sexuality can mean life or death. We saw that in Robert Long. And Robert Long, kind of what the article's topic was around, that Robert Long, the guy who shot up the the spas or the massage parlors or whatever they were down in Georgia, um, he was part of a Southern Baptist church, baptized, sex addict, went to counseling and even recovery programs. And he, he claims to have gone in and allegedly murdered all these women because they stood as a temptation to him and he needed to get rid of the temptation essentially. And so her article was kind of calling this out and putting the onus on women to keep us safe from them by how they act, live, dress, whatever. Um, And, and so I can, you know, on one side, yes, men think and are visual and biologically, you know, look at things differently, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, just because we are biologically some way doesn't mean that then people need to walk differently around us. You know, for, for example, I've always said whether or not, let's say, something like homosexuality or gender dysphoria or whatever is biological. There's some sort of gene misfire there or whatever um, is irrelevant is irrelevant to the Christian discussion mm-hmm. because the reality is we are to take our desires, whether rightly placed or misplaced and crucify them for the cause of Christ and on his, you know, before the cross die to ourselves, for sure. whatever desires. For sure. Um, it just gives us freedom. The cross gives us freedom to pursue those godly desires, but then the non-godly, whether they're biological, spiritual, or emotional or whatever, we need to daily die to them. And so that applies to, you know, yeah, men might have a stronger urge in these areas, um, and be more visual biologically or whatever. It doesn't give, it doesn't mean that then we can say it's your, it's so-and-so's fault that I'm having these feelings because of the way they dressed, yet dressed, talked, walked, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to, as men, crucify those things. 
And on the other side, you know, we also need to recognize that we need to take care of ourselves not to objectify and, and try to avoid those and dwell on whatever's true, noble, right, all pure, whatever those things are. And likewise, our opposite counterparts. And so the, the answer isn't for the for our, the wonderful women in our lives is to just throw caution and purity to the wind and just not worry about it, but to see what scripture would have, how scripture wants us to carry ourselves. You know, first mm-hmm. Peter uh, three, you know, in the context of marriage, he says this, but, you know, adorn yourselves on the inward person, not mm-hmm. with the outward uh, mm-hmm. appearance, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because of what effect it might have on the opposite sex, but because we are not living to for ourselves, but we're living for Christ. And what does that look like in all of our lives? And men have to ask themselves these same questions. And so at the end of the day, we cannot say, you know, this woman you gave me keeps, you know, put you in this garden with me, keeps parading her body around me. And so what else was I going to do? Because we can see, you know, rape is a, is a significant problem, even in burqa countries, mm-hmm. it because is. it's not yeah. about, it's not about modesty. It's about mm-hmm. power and drive and sinful desire to dominate and get your, your immediate needs filled. Yeah. I, you have to, it seems like within the culture of purity or whatever we're calling it, that we put the onus on women and not on men. You know, and and I think we have to operate from a perspective that the man is, is responsible for his own sin, um, regardless of the circumstances in which he finds himself. And, you know, it has to it comes it also comes down to how we view people. Do we view people as objects to be manipulated or do we view them as uh, souls who are either redeemed by God or not redeemed by God, but still made in the same image as God, uh, therefore deserving of the same uh, respect and care that, um, that anybody else would be, that we ourselves are responsible for. I think of, um, you know, we're called not to covet our neighbor's wife. So, I think it's when we when we hear that on on the reversal, it's also our responsibility to protect our neighbor's wife, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense that um, if you see someone acting sideways, you slap them upside the well, maybe not slap them upside the head, but you get you get the picture. Like, hey man, what are you doing? You call it out. Um, I had when I was early on in my walk, um, I was uh, so this is probably like man, maybe ten years ago now. I had I had a brother. Um, he was he was my platoon sergeant at the time, and uh, we'd go to Bible study together. We'd have lunch probably two or three times a week. And dude, this guy had been in the faith for probably 10, 15 years at that point. Um, seemingly a godly individual, but there was one huge flaw, man, in in him. And it was like everywhere we drove, he was checking out other women. This is a married dude. And you know, be like Reynolds, Reynolds, and I'm like, and don't, sorry, chill, man. You're married, I'm married. Keep your ass to yourself. Hmm. And and I think you have to when even when you have that pressure of somebody else who's trying to objectify somebody else, because it's not even that he was married or that I was married. Um, but it's 
it's looking at women in a way that sees them as an object to be conquered or to satisfy our lust. That is an inherent problem with our theology of persons, our anthropology, and how we see them made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's kind of part of die, that's part of dying to ourselves mm-hmm. as we, we look out for, for one another with that. We put ourselves aside and uplift the creature that God has created before us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned off air that this kind of plays into the conversation that Luke and I had a few weeks ago now talking about Britney Spears Mm -hmm. and reading some of the stuff about, about purity culture. I can see how, cause it was really at its height when Britney Spears came out, Mm -hmm. how that really affected people's reaction to Britney Spears when, um, and even some of the parts of the conversation that Luke and I had, it helped reveal to me some of the things that I hadn't realized previously about other people's perspectives that might've been different than my own having grown up outside the church. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, so thinking about your pre-Christian days, um, what would your, what was your kind of approach to this type of topic? You know, you kind of, you kind of talked about like, if I'd gone into a youth group and heard this stuff, I would have been like, see you later, whatever. I can't kiss my girlfriend that, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But, uh, but like, how, how do you process what you were before and what you are now with all of this stuff? Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, I was, I've said this before, I was a spiritually curious teenager. And if I had walked into a youth group and someone was teaching, I would have wanted to know about God. I would have wanted like, who's, who's God and what does he do and all this other stuff. But if I came in and you started telling me like, first thing off the bat, you can't kiss your girlfriend. And that was like the whole lesson, like why you can't kiss your girlfriend. I was like, I have other ways I could be wasting my time, like kissing my girlfriend. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to come here um, to like listen to this stuff because I mean, let's just face it is you're not telling me anything I want to hear. And you're not telling me that anything that I really need to hear because what I need to hear is the gospel. Um, This other stuff can be downstream from it, but I need to hear the gospel. So I think that for the youth groups that focused on, just sexual purity and they weren't they weren't talking like i don't get it man like when i was a youth pastor i told parents i said i'd rather your kids uh be off doing all this other stuff but they get to know jesus and then their their life changes afterwards than just telling them to focus on the stuff they're not supposed to do and then never get jesus Mm -hmm. if you don't want your kids to have have sex before they're married great I'll tell them that when it comes up in the text and you tell them that as you disciple them at home, but I'm trying to teach them Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and I'm convinced that as they follow Jesus and learn more about him, their behavior will change. But that's, that is, I don't want to say incidental, but it's downstream from um, their, their first knowing Christ and then obeying him. I, yep. So, so I think that 14, 15 year old me, 
I would have had that same that same sense, just knowing where my time space was at, at that moment. And and I needed to hear the gospel then. Um, you know, I used to tell because it was my last church. Uh, my, the, the last church I was at when I was the youth pastor and associate pastor there um, was in my hometown. And I didn't even know this church, the church existed. And I'd said to leadership, I told parents who, who are still who are in that church when I was a kid. I said, man, people should be telling there were kids that were in this youth group that I was in school with. And I didn't hear the gospel once. Hmm. And I was spiritually curious. I, I was I was one of those kids that someone would have invited me to youth group. Like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I would have come and just been like, Hey, don't have sex. Like, who are you to tell me that? <laughs> you know, like, go, yeah. <laughs> I know what I want to do and, and you're not giving me any reason not to do it. Um, mm-hmm. you're telling me because God said so, but you're not even telling me who God is. Why would, why right. would, why would I follow God? If you're not telling me who God is, it doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. Right. Yeah. Why should I live in to glorify this? other being (laughs) at all like why is that relevant Mm -hmm. you know i always ask that question when people you know say well this person believes in god and i'm like okay well what does that mean (laughs) like Mm -hmm. what is believing in god how does that impact your life like do you is there an expectation with that reality because you know there's lots of people who believe in god but the but they don't think the next steps of what does that mean for my life Mm -hmm. but yeah I think, you know, Esau Macaulay talks about this in his book, Ring Well Black. Um, and, I, and, I, and again, when I say it, I know it's funny because I'm not black, but I'm telling you, it's a book that's written to black people, but it's good for all of us to read. There's a lot of good stuff there. But he talks about how theology, necessarily, we have to ask the right questions in the right order. And you have to begin with, who is God? And when you don't begin with who God is, then, then nothing else is really going to matter to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're telling, we live in a society that's largely individualistic, do what you want. If you, if you feel like you want to go have sex, go have sex. If, you know, um, if you want to sell your body for sex, sure, go and do that. That's largely lost. It's, it's, uh, it's tabooness. Um, if you want to do drugs, do drugs, like all this stuff, we're just like, Hey, do whatever, man. Um, so that's the society that we live in right now. So if you're telling me just don't have sex, don't be gay, don't do all these things. And I go, but why? And you don't have an answer. If you're not starting with who Jesus Christ is, then you've lost all footing because now you're just giving what, what people today would say are your truth, right? You're saying mm-hmm. what your truth is, but what your truth is, isn't necessarily my truth, but the Christian mm-hmm. faith is so robust and it has so many, so many good answers to deep intellectual questions. We just don't catechize one another in these things so that when people, so that our default is to just go for behavioral modification instead of saying, well, this is who God is. This is why we believe who he is. This is why we can trust who he is. And, and this is now what he says. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Man, Mary says she's just joining. And I, I feel like I feel like she's missed like the best part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. No, Glenn. Uh, Glenn brings up a good point of some of the practicalities of what the purity culture looked like. Um, you know, the laundry list of do's and don'ts, and you know, people would buy purity rings for their kids. Like while you're wearing this, don't offend it by going out and 
you know, and doing this, that, or the other thing, or, you know, I will wait pledge or purity pledges. I, my wife even still has uh, one of hers in her, her drawer. You know, what that, her you know what that sounds like to me? What's that? Idolatry. Uh, you know, but I mean, yeah, I mean, let your yes be yes or your no be no. I'm pretty sure what, what Paul says, either either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. You know, the goal is to, yeah, honor this Christ who gave his life for you, that you might live uh, for him forever. Mm-hmm. And and Josh is right. It sounds like idolatry because it is idolatry. But 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 that's the human condition. We want the checklist. We, we want to know what do I have to do to get it right and to be approved. Um, and, and to some degree... Yeah, I mean, even even after Christ, we, we want to know what we can and cannot do. Uh, but I mean, those were those were the favorite camp conver- devotions or conversations in the cabins or, or whatever. Like, how far can you go? Like, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? And uh, and uh, what about this? What about that? And everything. I'm sure Bill Clinton didn't help with that either. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh oh, yeah, I'm gonna let questions. you answer that because you threw that gauntlet yeah, yeah, down. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so this is this is why I think it's idolatry to have uh, to wear a purity. And, and I'm not saying it's always idolatry, but this is this is why I think if if the intent is to honor the Lord, and if the if the intent is to honor the Lord and obey Him, and you have to put a ring on your finger as a reminder, I think you're replacing the Lord with an image with something like that. And, and I think that, um, I think that misses the point. I think if what we need to, if we're not, we're not focusing on the goodness of Christ and who he is, all of these moralistic teachings, even though they might, might not be bad, like they're good, right? Like it's, like, yeah, don't have sex outside of marriage. That's Bible. Um, th- and there are a whole, there are a hundred things that are Bible. Um, but they're of no use to you if you don't have Christ. And if you're doing them for the wrong reasons, if you're just doing it to make yourself feel good and give yourself a pat on the back or to check off a checklist, then I think you're forsaking the gospel. Um, I think you have to know, you have to grow in your love for Christ and all of these other things come from that. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Um, Meredith also asked with a follow-up question, how is that different than a wedding ring? It's different because I don't look at my wedding ring, right? And go, oh, wow, there's a really attractive woman over there, but man, I'm glad I have my ring on my finger so that if I didn't, then I would go cheat on my wife or, or like, or think about this woman in that way or something like that. Like my, my ring doesn't affect the way I think about these things. I, if, if I'm around another woman, I don't see her as a sexual object. Um, like I don't like, I don't even see my wife as a sexual object in the sense of like, when I, when I use that term, I mean, as someone who I can use or manipulate for my own sexual desires and pleasures. Right. And, right. and that's what we're talking about in the purity conversation is that what, what we've done is 
put the onus on women to say, make yourself less desirable Hmm. so that men don't view you as an object to have sex with. Whereas the onus should be on men and the, and really it should come from an outgrowing of their love of Jesus in learning that their that their sister in Christ, or or even if they're not in Jesus, regardless, that they are someone made in the image of God. They are not an object, but a person. Right, and so I think I think maybe Meredith is right when she says, "I must misunderstand how the rings are being used." You know, on one side, the you know the pure. It's kind of like where everything starts with probably a noble reasoning, but then it gets distorted and morphs into something it's not meant to be. Um, and so on, on the surface, a wedding ring or a purity ring might have similar reasonings of, of a reminder. You know, we think of, you know, Deuteronomy 6, you know, putting reminders around your house or even on your your clothing to, as a reminder of who you are in God and to teach the ways of God. Okay, reminders are not wrong. But when those reminders become legal, legalistic, or even pre- preventative, um, it, it, you can easily go from worshiping the Lord because of those things to worshiping those things as that's that's your answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would not, I w- you know, we've been we've been kind of con- coming down hard on purity culture, but at the end of the day, if I had daughters, um, and more and more I walk through clothing sections, thank the Lord, I don't. Um, but at the same time, there are other difficulties that I'll have in raising three boys. Um, but the, I do, would not have an issue of if my daughter wanted to wear a piece of clothing or a ring to show where her heart was, mm-hmm. you know, where her, you know, you know, or as a reminder to her or an expression to other people uh, mm-hmm. for where her allegiance lies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like so man, we've got some great comments. Steve Lawson making I think this might be his introduction to the comment section of, of Bible and Banter. I'll you know uh you know I think people might be critical that Steve Lawson watches our show. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Steve. But um I appreciate you commenting. Yeah, I, I totally actually I agree with Steve, and that was kind of my point about talking about the wedding ring, is that it's not the wedding ring or purity ring. Um, I don't think it's something that, that I should just, I, I should, should feel it. And then it changes my mind from being lustful to non-lustful. I think it's there. Like, I agree with Steve. It's a signal to the world. Like I would hope that other women, cause sometimes I'm oblivious to things. Um, so, so I don't think women fl- flirt with me or anything like that. And I'm not really around women all that much anyway, uh, except for my wife or even at church. But, um, like, um, I, I, I would hope that it's a signal of like, I'm not available. Right. And I, and I would hope people re- respect me and my wife in themselves, but you know, it is a symbol of our commitment, but I don't think me taking my wedding ring off doesn't make me any less committed to my wife. Uh, unless I did it for the purpose of committing adultery, which some men, I guess might do, but, um, my wife coming in hot, man. I mean, she's, uh, she, this might be the best comment, you know, I've, she's shared on the show. She says parents need to start being comfortable with having these conversations with their kids. So they understand what sex is for and about why they will want to wait. That's, that's fire, man. I mean, I'm man, 
That's my boo thing right there. <clears throat> um, so Nathaniel says he doesn't know anybody who worshipped the purity rings like what we're talking about. I hope that's the case. I hope I hope we're certainly overblowing it. Um, uh, so I th so Steve Steve Lawson comments again. He says I think it should be important for boys to wear these rings for something as a signal of our commitment. I think I think we certainly have to have these conversations with young boys. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have to, it's my responsibility to raise my son to honor the Lord and honor the people around him, both male and female, right. And to view women, not in a, uh, not as objects to be conquered, but as uh, people to be honored. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that wasn't something that I was necessarily taught when I was a kid. And that's not, that's not a criticism of my parents. I just think, you know, it's partly just the culture that they were in and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it, it's important. It's important for us to take the responsibility as dads mm -hmm. to teach our young boys um, first and foremost, to love Jesus. But second to that, um, how to, how to respect people that are in their lives. Right. Like I love Meredith's uh, approach that she's going to go on a walk and, and talk about it, the whole thing. Um, but I, I think one of the also kind of getting back to our earlier conversation, the issue with, you know, the purity contracts or the purity rings or whatever, whatever we want to call them is how you respond if there's a failure in that area. Uh oh, mm. now you're tainted. Now you're dirty because you violated your commitment because you made a willing or unwilling mistake or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're no longer pure. You're no longer this, that, the other thing. And, and that, that's the kind of the darker side of where purity culture changed uh, things to if you fail in this area, you are forever marked you know, you, you become that, that beat up rose or you become that mm -hmm. um, disheveled coin but we, you know, without the reality that, well, God's got a really good ability at uh, making you uh, pure again in, in his, in his sight through his son. Mm -hmm. And, and also not only that he has a way of making you pure, but you are pure on account of Christ. And no matter what you do, um, he's, his, his grace is always sufficient. He will, he always renews, he always cherishes so that when you do fall short and you will probably daily, mm -hmm. then, then all you have to do is go to the Lord and, and your sin is covered by the cross of Christ. Um, it's for that reason. Like we, when we came back in, in from quarantine um, or came back to indoor services, we started, we added to our liturgy the um, prayer of confession and assurance. And we really try to emphasize, hey, this is the time where we collectively can bear our hearts before the Lord and confess our sins and are assured of the forgiveness that he gives to us, no mm -hmm. matter what it is. Yeah. And, and I think that's incredibly important for us to, to communicate across the board. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, I know you want us to write a book, but how about I just live stream that awkward conversation I have with my son? I don't think your son wants to do that. 
<laughs> we'll have a Bible and banter episode where we'll put him right in the middle yeah. and yeah. we can both talk to him. Yeah. Hey, that'll be our, that could be our, like a, an extra episode a week is, Hey, bring your kids onto Bible and banter and we'll have that talk with them. And you'll be in there too, just so uh, parental supervision, but uh, <laughs> uh, Uncle Mike and Uncle Eric will teach all the Advent Christian kids. We'll, we'll spend more time teaching them about the office. Then. <laughs> uh, but again, like we we want, like I really want people to understand, it is important for us to obey the Lord. Mm-hmm. But but we can't we can't make our obedience our idol. Um, we there, and and that's what um, Nathaniel correcting me before. He said the idol wasn't the ring. The idol was the purity itself. Right. And, and it's because it was an earned type of purity rather than the purity that is earned by us through Christ. Yeah. Meredith asking me, asking if liturgy, if that was sarcasm. No, I prefer the term liturgy uh, when, when we talk about our order of worship. So <laughs> stop there in the shade. You nerd. Um, <laughs> but no, but uh, Glenn, kind of to your point, there are, I mean, there used, I, I, my wife tells me about the time that her parents just gave a book. I think it, it was titled your, your wonderfully and fearfully made book that talked about the whole gamut of things and some of the, and I can't remember if her parents did or did not have a follow-up conversation on that, but mm-hmm. she had all these questions that she like carried into much later in life than she should have because it was a misunderstanding of the book. <laughs> and, and so there, but nowadays I've read some of them and, and looked at some of them and there are good Christian books to help walk you through that with your kids. Um, but the, the key is don't just um, give the book and say, have at it, but you should have a follow-up like, Hey, any questions, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, I remember my dad tried to have this conversation with me. Um. Oh, so weird. I uh, basically he was he was so late to the game. He was so late to the game because I already found girls attractive and everything. And the what brought it up was he was a uh, the the city fire marshal, and a classmate's house had burned down, and so he was there and he met the the family and talked to them because he had to kind of figure out like what may have may or may not have started the fire. Um, and it, no, it wasn't Ryan. Um, and he, he what, and the classmate was a female Mel, her name was Melody. Uh, and she, she was cute. She was attractive. And so he decided to take that moment as like, so do you have any questions about girls or anything, you know, cause he was thinking, <laughs> I'm like, um, no dad, I, I don't. And he's like, you know, <laughs> it was just, I don't remember any of it cause I think I blocked it out, but I'm like, no dad, I, I'm good. Yeah. She's cute, but it's okay. We're, we're fine. <laughs> what is we are fine. Uh, oh, that's so weird, man. Yeah, like, it and not- it is like, I don't know why we have, um, someone brought up dis- demystifying sex. That was Meredith. Um, dude, I, my kids are, uh, 10 and nine and, and oddly enough, one of our kids knows more about sex than the other. And this was when they were going to a Christian school and they had a friend who had some, had some struggles. And this friend told our daughter, you need to watch, uh, Chucky or bride of Chucky or something like that. 
And this was before we had parental parameters on Netflix because, I mean, at that age, we didn't think that there was a – like, she was so young. I think she might have been six or seven. Uh-huh. Um, so she ends up watching this movie. Um, and I don't know if my wife walked in or she said something to my wife, but there was a sex scene in it. And I haven't seen any of the Chucky's, so I have no I idea. Either. Like that, like that's not my thing. I'm not a big horror movie guy. And um, so since then, we've had to have well, I say we. My wife has had to have conversations with her. Um, just you know, you got to watch out for those Christian schools, man. Um, <laughs> but you know, it is uncomfortable. Like when I think about having those conversations with my son, I go, "Why is this so weird?" Like why why do we make why do we make these kinds of conversations weird, and and I don't understand I don't and I don't know if it's a uniquely American thing, because like the view of sexuality when I lived in Germany was very different than it is here. Uh-huh. Um, like you would go to a bus stop and you would have a topless photo of a woman at the bus stop, like advertising something. Uh-huh. It, it was incredibly incredibly awkward, um, and then you would go to like the beach and it was just people were dressed vastly different than they are here in America. So I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if that's, or if it's a universal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, some good comments. I'm just trying to, yeah. And so I actually just read an article recently, like, like specifically it said, what's the earliest stage? Like when should you talk to your children about pornography? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember actually, this is super embarrassing, but I was on a Kindle with my son and he wanted me to look for like a modification for Minecraft to see how much it was. And I typed in the, the mod and everything. And the, one of the first links I, I clicked on naked women popped up and I'm like, Oh, that's so uncomfortable. And so I was like, and he laughed cause I think he was, he was seven and he had no idea and whatever. And so you know, having those uncomfortable conversations when stupid stuff like that. And so now I've said, if I search for anything, um, <laughs> you're not w- searching with me. Um, uh, but uh, yeah. And so this article said, you know, five is probably too early, but the average age for becoming aware of pornography for a child is 11. That's insane. 11. That's crazy. Um, so it's almost like it's almost never too early, but in some ways that's a, that's a hard thing to decide of when is the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be interested if there are any parents that have, like you have had to have these conversations, you know, most of my wife has those conversations. I don't know. I don't know why, but my kids feel more comfortable talking to her than, than, than me on that stuff. We should have a whole episode of Bible and banter of why that's, that's the case to help you understand. Cause I think there's a whole host of people that would be able to inform you of why that's it. Why that is like my personal flaws. Here are the nine to five pieces of why Robin is our preferred to go to person in the Reynolds household. Well, Robin will tell you she's far more comfortable having those conversations than I am. Um, I, it's funny, man, because like, so this Sunday I'm preaching on uh, uh, first Samuel uh, chapter 23. And it's when um, Saul goes into a cave where David and his men are and he goes to essentially relieve himself. And once I looked into what that meant in the Hebrew, 
I giggled and could, and like spent 10 minutes just thinking of funny titles for the sermon. So um, that just shows you where my maturity level is on some of these mm-hmm. things. Yeah. 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 So, and that's actually one of the, our boys desperately want to ride the bus to and from school. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why can't we? And I'm like, because buddy, even at, even in third grade or earlier, kids have devices that we cannot control and know what they're going to show you. And he's like, Oh, and and my oldest is like, my friends don't have any phones and I just won't look if they try to show me something wrong and blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, buddy, I love you. I love your heart. But sometimes those things are out of our control. And so there are Mm -hmm. things that happen on the school bus that we know of in our local area that, you know, as long as I am able, you will be picked up and driven to school. Mm Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. You know, you could protect them even more. Oh, yeah. But I, I know. I by know. not sending them to pagan school. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. We, we are doing everything we can possibly imagine to keep them from becoming Christians. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think, I think we've, I would say we've beat this to death. There's a whole lot more that we can talk about, but I feel like yeah. the conversation will just further devolve and people will lose even more respect for you and I. So uh, <laughs> some conversations are meant to have in private and not public. Uh, or maybe that's just me being a prude. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, yeah. so you got anything else, Mike? I got, I rarely have anything, but no, I don't have anything. Hey, um, for those of you who uh, care, which is hopefully all of you, please be in prayer for Luke and Lindsay um, and, and their baby Hazel. Um, they're still, you know, they're up uh, in Charlotte and, and she was just born and had some surgeries and hopefully you're part of their Facebook group that they, they share stuff with. Uh, Mike, we learned is not part of that Facebook group. And we learned actually on air, or just before we came on air, as Mike and I were talking, we realized that Luke hates Mike for some reason. Mm. Um, why is that again, Mike? I, I honestly don't know. Um, there, I, there's only a handful of people that I know do not actually like me. And it's a very surreal, th- surreal thing to know mm-hmm. when someone doesn't like you, like definitively no. And so this is a very weird feeling. Um, I mean, granted, we don't know that he doesn't like me, but there oh, are many no, signs. Know. There are many. I mean, I had to guilt him into into friend requesting me on Facebook when he returned, and now this whole mm-hmm. secret you know, keep it from Mike Facebook group. There's like a hundred um, people in that group. I feel yeah. like if you didn't make the group, you're just not. You're not. I I I don't matter. Yeah, clearly, I, I don't matter. Mike's life doesn't matter. Which is true. In the grand scheme of things, I'm a drop in the evolutionary bucket. So, well, Mike, if I ever had a Facebook group with you know a hundred people, you would be at least in the top half of people that I would invite into that Facebook group. Oh, thank you, buddy. Yeah, right yeah. back at you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey, God bless you guys. We love you. We hope this conversation has been edifying, and that Mike didn't oh, step on too many. Shows. Oh, hold on. Oh, so, hold on. One more thing. Great. One more thing. Uh-huh. One more thing. Triennial. Ooh. Don't forget to register for a triennial. Yeah. Your church 
if you're an Advent Christian, by the way, if you're part of an Advent Christian church, your church probably re uh, received one of these awesome standout red papers with important reminders. And March 31st is the last opportunity to register as a delegate. And you got to get your delegate Ooh. form in there. Uh, but it's free this year because it's all online. And so... Um, Are you registered? I registered this morning, actually. And I have to, wow. I have to send in my delegate form. Ooh, how many delegates do you guys have? One. Oh. Mm, well, okay. it's pretty. It's a pretty uh, steep uh, requirement to have more than one. I mean, how many of our churches have more than two hundred members? Or well, one hundred members. Well, many, and I'll tell you why. Because a lot of churches have a um, active membership list, an inactive membership list, and they have even other categories. Mm. And based on what I read. Um, you can either the church can either go off of its active membership list or its active and inactive membership list. And okay. a lot of people get moved. So each church has its own decision. Like they have their own process of who's active, who's inactive. So and and for some people, like yeah, yeah. Like I look at our inactive list at our church, and I've never met any of the like some of these people. Um. And if yeah. I talk to, if I talk to the last pastor, he probably hasn't either. So, you know, that's, that's one challenge, I think. Um, yeah. And Steve makes a good point. Even if you're not a delegate, please register. We want you to be mm -hmm. part of it. And in the, the, whatever, in the, in the participation, but yeah, no, we, I have, um, in our new membership things, we, we are working towards, you're on the inactive list for a year and then you're off. And our inactive mm. list isn't very big anyway, but there are people I'll tell you that call because they were here as children and haven't darkened the doors since they graduated or whatever, or mm. their parents moved or whatever, and still think that they're members. And I'm like, no, our constitution says if we lose contact with you, then that is sufficient ground to uh, remove you from membership. So yeah. Um, yeah, it should be exciting. It should be exciting. And I talked with Justin last week. They should be announcing nominees for positions and whatnot for uh, for Triennial later this week, I think. So, What are you getting nominated for, Mr. Bigwig? I, I can't. I, you know, I... <laughs> I'm not Again, man, I'm 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 two for two on things you can't talk about that I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week and maybe you'll find. Uh, yeah, so dude, you could have been an, an intelligence analyst or human investor. <laughs> Yeah. I listen. I may not know the answers, but I uh, to a lot of things. But I know how things operate. <laughs> you know the questions. I mean, I mean, Mark would know. He's the chairperson of the ministry. Of the, of the, uh, so of the um, nominating committee. So hey, if you want to nominate somebody for something, you need to talk to Mark Wolfenthal, who is in the comment section. If you were to be nominated for something, Eric, what would that be? Next week, I'm back on You're you're gunning for Logrie's position, aren't you? You want a little scuffle? If there's one person who needs to get kicked off the executive council, we know it's Tom Logrie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Tom, and I'm sure we have. 
uh, man, the more I get to know people in our denomination and our leaders, um, the more I realize how blessed we are with, with the quality of individuals, especially in the ACGC office who are probably executive council, but still we have some, we have some tremendous folks. So. Which uh, that reminds me, I went back and looked and I did receive an email where I, I do know now what you're, you're not necessarily being nominated for. Oh goodness. All right. Well, I uh, hope you guys had fun today and, and learned lots about purity culture. So um, God bless you guys. We love you. Take care. And uh, we'll see you next week on Bible and Banter.